on. Recording in progress. Awesome. Okay. So hello, everyone. Presence. Spotlights. Awesome. And I will share my screen. All righty. All right. So getting into the world of digestion, habits, and hacks. Sometimes to be a little bit about faux pas conversation, right? Like what's digestion? What's really going on in there? going on down there uh what i aim to share in this um in this workshop if you are, have any sort of digest, digestive issue you are in the norm it's very common and most people actually have them so i won't go by a raise of the hands if anyone has any digestive issues i'm just going to assume that most of us do so uh uh we will get into the um a little bit more into kind of the specifics there but uh, this workshop is really aimed to support you learn a little bit more about what your digestive tract is and how to support yourself, uh, optimize um, those those pathways, recognizing some things that might be a little uh, foreign, maybe familiarizing, refamiliarizing yourself with some other um, practices and opportunities as well. Awesome. So let's set the table, shall we? First and foremost, like I said, People have digestive issues. It has parasites, viruses, bacteria have been are part of our genetic code. Literally, about four in ten people have report having a weekly digestive issue, intestinal permeability (IP), which we'll talk about in a second. The opening of your your your, your tight junctions in your small intestine, uh, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Our gut biota has about forty trillion. 40 to 100 trillion, depending on who you ask. Uh, different uh, gut microbiota, can't count them all, but we'll just take their word for it. And oftentimes, if we have some small intestinal bacterial overgrowth leaking up from our large intestine into our small intestine, wreak havoc, right? Um, to the other direction, if people uh, have consumed too many uh, antibiotics, we can have a depleted gut microbiota, leaving us vulnerable to... Um, uh, uh, malevolent pathogenic overgrowth from C. diff to Escherichia coli, um, a myriad other ones as well. On top of that, people, uh, most people have a food sensitivity. Could be dairy, eggs, gluten, yeast, nuts, all kinds of uh, food sensitivities, many stemming either from having some sort of intestinal permeability, uh, over time or, or over consuming certain foods. There's a lot of reasons why people can develop a food sensitivity. We'll get into it in a minute. But one in four people can't tolerate saturated fat. So if you have that friend that went keto for a while and they saw great results and you said, I'm going to try that. Uh, and then I tried keto and I felt terrible, right? Even after that keto flu period, right? You might have the APOE4 genotype, which means that your body cannot clear saturated fats efficiently. It's one in four people. It's not a small amount. So definitely not a one-size-fits-all conversation, any diet. But if you have a sneaking suspicion, uh, that's a very interesting test to run, and I intend to at some point um, uh, myself, the APOE uh, genotype, allele type uh, test. And gut health isn't just related to food processing. We often think, all right, well, I eat the food, it goes, blah, 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 and then goes out, and then I do it again, right? There's so much more hormonal relationship to, um, to food. 
such as, did you know 80% of our immunity is based in our digestive tract, right? We have these kind of cells that, uh, well, kind of white blood cells that just are there solely to navigate our digestive tract and activate uh, when it's in the presence of pathogens. So that's one part about our immunity. And if we have intestinal permeability or any sort of digestive issue, it certainly weakens our digestive uh, tract and it weakens our immunity. Depending on who you ask, 80 to 90% of our serotonin, our feel-good hormone is created in our gut. So oftentimes people can be on these antidepressants. I'm certainly not the person to talk to about getting on or off one of uh, an SSRI. However, if you have intestinal permeability or uh, a depleted gut microbiota, et cetera, your serotonin uh, might be depleted or off kilter because of a digestive issue. So we're looking to our brain as that issue, but it's actually a digestive tract. That's called your enteric nervous system, the conversation between your digestive tract all the way up to your brain and your digestive tract having a gut feeling does about 90% of the communication versus the brain talking to the gut. So there's a lot of uh, benefit there to uh, feeling good and having a healthy digestive tract. A lot of folks don't realize this, and I didn't either until recently, but 80% plus of autoimmune issues, Hashimoto's, um, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, many others related to gut dysfunction. So if you have an AI of any sort, oftentimes you look into intestinal permeability or some harsh reaction uh, to, uh, to foods, it's also something compromised within the gut tract somewhere, right? Oftentimes people are banging their heads against a wall to lose weight. So they're going into a calorie depletion, but positive food choices are often negated if the body cannot process nutrients or creates a reaction due to permeability or a fungal overgrowth or a bacterial overgrowth. So oftentimes we're going, I'm not losing any weight and I'm starving myself. Uh, it can be an issue of, again, the, the hardware not functioning properly. Got the picture, right? That's a little dad humor for you. Got to get the picture, got the picture. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, Michelle, for smiling. At least appreciate that. That's great. We'll be here all night, folks. So there's a lot more to it, but however, we're going to start in today's aims. Master some basics, and it might seem like, oh gosh, that's going to be a lot, but we break it down a little bit. These practices can be um, with a little bit of... Um, curiosity really uh, be foundational to well-being. So first work from the inside out. Gut health is foundational. I try to start there with people when I'm doing health coaching work. Let's talk about your gut. Let's talk about your uh, digestive responses, how you feel after you eat. Because um, outside of breathing and drinking water, we do the most eating and it has, I think, the most influence upon our health. Right, so how do we know if we've got gut dysbiosis, intestinal permeability, maybe even a parasite? Uh, uh, one in four about Caucasian people have a parasite. It's a little bit higher in prevalence in Latinos and African-American communities as well, but parasites very, very common as well. So a few things to look for, right? distended stomach. Your stomach sits kind of at the top here by your rib cage, is that puffing out? That could be a sign of having helicobacter pylori in your stomach. You'll feel a whole lot more if you have H. pylori as well. Uh, but distended stomach is a look. Bloating anywhere in top or bottom of your digestive tract. Some cramping, loose stool or constipation, right? So runny stool or too firm, hard to push. 
smelly gas, guilty. Oh my God. Hello. Here's my fungal overgrowth people. I won't get into it. Right. But I'll just call one on myself. Come on, people. Acid reflux or GERD, gastrointestinal reflux disease. Another one, not or producing too much stomach acid or not enough. Another one, two, skin rashes. People that have eczema, a lot of the time they're having an immune response to some sort of food they're eating that's exacerbating some sort of intestinal permeability. Um, so oftentimes we have skin rashes and we don't know where they came from. Could be an issue there to look at. So have a look. Obviously, this will be recorded, but consider yourself after you have a meal, right? I'll call one on myself. Sometimes when I eat cheap carbohydrates, like kind of sugar-based ones, I have kind of a high candida um, overgrowth, which is a very common fungal overgrowth, candida albicans. Uh, and I get like bad gas. It's like kind of gross, actually. Um, just happened a few minutes ago with my daughter. She told my wife on me. It was embarrassing. So these things happen. I was like, I thought that was between us, Sophie. She's like, ah. Um, all right. So that's that. I'll go outside then. Uh, so this is just one of the few things that is very common. It's just something we have to take on, right? For me, it's candida albicans uh, is high, but it could be all kinds of bacterial overgrowth to look at, right? Quick overview of the digestive tract. I like to start here because until I got certified in this, I really didn't know what it was all about. Maybe we had biology back in sophomore year in high school with uh, Mr. What's-His-Name. Uh, but um, uh, it's long gone out the window for me. So first we start with the esophagus. I have probably too much writing on here, but your esophagus is kind of, right, 10-inch mucus line tube delivering food uh, from the mouth to the stomach. So if you're experiencing heartburn, could or might be from experiencing frequent or ill-timed opening of what's called your lower esophageal sphincter, your LES. This is especially prevalent if you take um, like a Tums, or uh, what is it, uh, uh, Pepsid-AC, right? Anybody ever taken an acid blocker before by a raise of hands? Stomach hurts, terrible idea, don't do that. Thank you, Michelle, don't do that, don't do that ever. There will be a class action lawsuit by the time where our time is through against PPIs, proton pump inhibitors. Derek, do you remember Ian Haskell? Yes, of course. I was talking to him just yesterday about this program. And he said he just got GERD. So that's what I was talking about here. And you said, Tom's like, that guy pops some like candy. So I'm going to have him He's reach out to you here soon. Dude, I would love to support him because we think and we've been sold this up, uh, this bill of goods that that helps, that weakening your stomach acid is a good idea. But I'm sure Ian eats his share of hamburgers, if I remember Ian, unless he's a vegetarian. And if you're popping us, a stomach acid blocker after eating a hamburger, that's a terrible idea because it's weakening your stomach acid after eating potentially the hardest thing to, to, to process, which is red meat. So uh, yeah, absolutely. Please tell Ian and give him my best to throw the Tums away. And, that starts and with your esophagus. Go ahead, I was going to say, like, I want to be there when you tell Ian Haskell no more cheeseburgers. So. I won't be. Oh, I'll be all the way over here. <laughs> I don't know if he'll hear me. I'll tell him, but I don't know if he'll hear me. Um, so that's the start, right? Your esophagus. You chew food, it goes down your esophagus, and you have a little a little flap in your, your LES. And if you're stressed, if you're because it's cued, your LES is cued to stay closed uh, with the right amount of stomach acid. And if you're killing your stomach acid with basic um, 
tablets like a Tums, well, it doesn't have the regulatory marker to close. It's just going to kind of stay open, right? So that's one thing to look at over time. It's a huge, huge issue. Next, your stomach, right? The first major phase of digestion, right? It's digestive, not absorptive. No food gets absorbed into your body through your stomach, in, right? So we want to keep that like battery acid, a one to four pH. It kills pathogens that we swallow with food, right? And if you have weakened stomach acid, you can't break down your proteins. And H. pylori, a very common uh, uh, parasite of sorts, bacterium parasite, um, it eats stomach acid for breakfast, literally. So if you have weak stomach acid, you get H. pylori, what's going to continue to eat your stomach acid and then build into your stomach wall, to your mucosal wall, and eat your mucus, and all of a sudden you're feeling very, very, very sick and not able to tolerate any food because H. pylori has resided in your stomach. A few things to consider, we'll talk about this a bit more, right? Boosting your digestive strength in your stomach. Ginger, that's why they give you ginger with sushi because it helps build up and kill parasites that are on the fish potentially. Digestive enzymes, if you're sensitive to gluten, maybe an amylase enzyme, you find a protein hard to break down, a protease enzyme. Or if you kind of notice yourself having kind of really light, fluffy, floaty poops, you might have difficulty breaking down fats, right? That might be a lipase enzyme. Maybe you can do a full spectrum one. Fallout fails. Um, uh, you can do a, a betaine HCL as well to strengthen your digestion. Next is your small intestine, a huge piece of a huge organ, 18 to 25 feet in length. And if you're a monster human being like Ben, you might have a clear 30, who knows, like a, like a cow of sorts. And the majority of your nutrient absorption occurs uh, in your small intestine, right? So that's where you do the nutrient extraction. And it's so important to keep your small intestine pristinely clean. Um, leaky gut may be creating uh, immune system reactions and why people feel sick after they eat or have mood swings. It's very common, right? Maybe a bacterial overgrowth that leaked up through the, um, the, the colon, which is filthy, uh, and that opens up and then uh, the bacterium leaks back into the small intestine due to stress, food sensitivities, etc. A lot of reasons why um, uh, you could be uh, experiencing some issues with your digestion. Next large intestine, five to seven feet in length, holds the largest amount of bacteria and can leak back into the small intestine if the uh, ileocecal valve doesn't properly close due to stress or myriad other reasons, right? Your digest, your, your bacterium in your large intestine can and will climb all the way through your small intestine and even up into your stomach. It does happen slowly, but over time, it'll be there. And if any of these parts are dysfunctional, digestive health, and therefore, I'd assert general health, is not optimized. Between three and eight and a half in 10 people with irritable bowel disease had SIBO. So they run one and the same many times. All right, real quick, the gut-brain connection. Just want to share with you a slide that I love. You see, if you take your fingers together, this is what your small intestinal wall should look like. These are your fingers are villi, and on top of them are microvilli. And these villi take the food within your small intestine as it's digested and broken down into kind of a, a bolus from your stomach when it's broken down and soft, and it extracts the nutrients 
and then it brings it into your bloodstream, as you can see here. Uh, well, if you have a, a breach of your uh, blood of your barrier, right, due to stress, due to too, taking too many Advil or NSAIDs, too many antibiotics. If you get pregnant, that's a huge challenge. Sometimes you get intestinal permeability and digestive issues. You can start to get inflamed, leaky junctions. So you want the tight junctions to protect yourself and keep all the food in. However, if you get stressed, myriad other reasons, the junctions start to crack open. You can see this on a microscope if you look it up. It's fascinating. And then microorganisms can enter and exit undigested food particles, right? all kinds of issues. We're getting this really visceral reaction in our body because our hardware is a little faulty. And over time, that can lead to uh, food intolerances, allergies, autoimmune issues, and chronic inflammation, malabsorption, and nutrient deficiency. This is why I don't fully believe calories in, calories out, because there's way more that goes into it than just eating a food and getting a simple result for every right? A lot of things you got to take care of first. It can even lead to every all the metabolic, neurological, and autoimmune disorders that you see below. So if you know anyone that seems to have like anxiety, depression, type 2 diabetes could be, um, hypertension, a lot of things to look at it, leaky gut or a at least, at the very least, a non-optimized gut. And if there's ever any questions, feel free to reach out. I'm just going to keep flowing through it. Awesome. Next, so let's get real intimate. What can your poop tell you? How fun. First and foremost, remember, this is one of the healthiest markers you can do seriously is, is take a look back there when you're done with the job. First and foremost, you want to make sure your color is ideal, kind of a corrugated cardboard to a milk chocolate color. If it's not, there's some other, some different colorings can tell you some things. First of all, if you're getting yellow, it might be liver-based. You're not properly absorbing fats. Your liver and your gallbladder work intimately to process uh, fats. And if you're not absorbing them, you might that might be an issue there if you see that color. If it's green, could mean you have a short transit time through the uh, small intestine and your bile is not getting reabsorbed. So if that gets dropped, could be something to look into. You might need to um, uh, support yourself with getting some lemon or a lime, some artichokes or some beet greens can support you with that. Strengthening uh, your bile reabsorption, bile drop. If it's black, short transit time, maybe even dried blood due to cut in the small intestine or large intestine. Told you to not eat nails, you know what I mean? But if you insist, you might have an outcome she's not looking for. Right, so there's a few things to look at for color. Also white, right? My nephew had a white poop and I was like, what is that thing? What is that? Um, I'm not dropping enough bile, now I know. Um, right, so really, if you're looking to increase bile, if you're getting kind of a, like a very light, light color, that's a common thing that might be your need for uh, 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 stimulate more bile with, with citrus fruits, with um, apple cider vinegar. Again, beet greens are another good one to do to help stimulate bile release. Uh, form, right? Ideally, banana sausage kind of holds shape, but isn't, um, isn't too hard to push out. If it's pebble or cracked, right? The stool is sitting there for too long and you're dehydrated. That can be an issue. Simple one is you might be dehydrated. Uh, so that's always a good idea to, to look at if it's too much strain. If it's oily and floats at the top, maybe undigested fat, 
or too much fat occurring. So if it's kind of loose and puffy and, and floaty, it would be something if you're consuming too much, too much fat and not able to process it. Or if you're in APOE4, as aforementioned, if it's liquid or too soft, if you're not dropping enough bile. So again, that's why it's so helpful to have a, a lemon wedge with your first glass of water in the morning because it really supports what's called the peristalsis in your small intestine. It starts to move things around gently and it helps you start to uh, wake up the bile salts and, um, and, and activate those as well before you eat. Um, also, it could be if you're having persistent diarrhea, it might be something worth looking into talking about on our site with your uh, functional medicine doctor or practitioner you trust. Awesome. Next, food sensitivities. By raise of hands, have you all done a food sensitivity test? Did you do one? Kathy, you did. You did one. Can't remember if you and Ben did one. Michelle, you did. Gotcha. I I did with you. You did one too. No, I've done a test. It's a, it's an interesting look. It's it's kind of mixed reviews. I like to bring it up because it does. I have seen it firsthand. It does work. I've seen it work with my wife. Seen it work with clients. Some people say, well, are you sensitive to the food or are you sensitive to something sprayed on it? And there's a lot of other, other things that play that could be, but it's really worth mentioning because there are a few that people don't know that can be uh, can be absolute um, killers if you let it persist for too long. Healthy foods, even. So food allergy versus food sensitivity, they're not the same. An allergy is in what's called an, an immunoglobulin E response, IgE, think E, immediate. And uh, sensitivity is an immunoglobulin F response, right? It's more latent. Well, only about 4% of people uh, suffer from food allergies. Up to 90% of people suffer from some sort of food sensitivity. And you can see the difference there. Usually food sensitivities or um, uh, not uh, as serious, but can include more symptoms and can have chronic fatigue, uh, weight gain, stubborn weight loss, gain, migraines, bloating, gas. My wife was a regular egg eater, and she would always wonder why she got so tired in the late morning and into afternoon. Well, she had a huge food sensitivity to egg whites, like the holy grail of health foods, right? Egg whites. When she cut out egg whites, she has not had a problem with that chronic fatigue in the late morning and afternoon. Uh, another client of mine was a lover of almonds. She ate a ton of almonds because it's a healthy food. So very high food sensitivity. Cut that out as well as egg whites. No more daily diarrhea. So other things to look at. Is it a perfect test? No, but it can be worth it to uh, remove some of those uh, common health foods that just might not be healthy for you. As you can see, typical food sensitivities, wheat or gluten, dairy, certain fruits and vegetables, corn. I find almost everyone is, almost everyone, unless you got a great gut, is sensitive to cheap egg whites. So that's also another one to look at. It's just being mindful of your egg whites consumption because of the uh, uh, antigens in the egg white, right? The yolk is actually the chick or the potential chick and it eats. The food is the egg white itself. It's got a lot of antigens in it that tend to create a huge uh, response within people if they don't have, again, tight, tight junctions for them. That's, this is my food sensitivity test. Uh, as you can see, it's pretty good. Most of the stuff is in the green. You can't see it here, but my candida albicans is actually, actually pretty high, which explains why I can get gassy if I eat kind of cheap, um, cheap carbohydrates. 
So this is what you could look at, but every interface is kind of the same. Kathy, did you notice anything uh, for a food sensitivity that you had that you, um, did you have any issues at all or was everything pretty green? I can't recall. Everything was pretty green. There was only one thing that was like minorly high and I don't even remember what that was now. Gotcha. Awesome. Michelle, did you remember or Ben, anything? I don't remember actually seeing this report, but I do remember that it came back and said chicken and eggs, which are like 80% of what I eat. I don't remember what you're doing. I know like red bell peppers was one sensitivity for me. Yeah, uh, but I don't remember having this report. All right, to figure out how to find it again. It gotcha. Be well, this one is from Equal Life, but I might have sent you the one from. Uh, uh, they have a, a cheaper one that was that's that's also Everly Well has a different interface. That might have been the one. Yeah, that was the one. <laughs> yeah, so I'm all, all pretty good, perfect. No, but um, uh, can be mindful, and also sometimes just not eating a certain food for a few weeks. Like my wife is sensitive to chickpeas as well. And she cut them out for six months and she can kind of eat them again in moderation. So sometimes it's just a matter of not eating so much of, of a certain thing. So a few ways to do it. You can do an elimination diet, which is take it out and then for at least 72 hours and then try it again and notice like, oh, wow, like I am having a response to that, which is possible and free and kind of laborious. Or like all of you know, you can also test. I left a QR code for the uh, for the volume test that I recommend. Sounds like you guys all have it already um, handled, but this is just a QR code to, to get you there for a for a simple one. Uh, volume's pretty good. They're pretty fast. Um, and I didn't if I don't know if anyone else would be on here to if they were curious about it. It sounds like you guys have all done one. All right, so you have all been here as well, so I won't spend too much time, but one of the best things you can do for your digestive health is fast. Why? Because you take out all the variables that are making your digestion go kind of bonkers. So having some uh, time to fast um, is, uh, is crucial for just letting your digestive tract repair itself. I'm not here to heal anything for you. Your body does all the healing. If we just kind of pull the thorn out, fasting is the best way to do that. And in relationship to digestion, right, it's an innate human experience. Our ancestors would, ancestors would go days without, without food. And I'm not saying they wanted to, but it's part of our cyclic uh, uh, consumption of food or lack thereof. It's been used as a therapeutic in every major religion as atonement, cleansing, Right? allows for full gastric emptying. I'm just talking about intermittent fasting or spacing three to four hours between meals here. Especially important for a guy like Ian. Uh, probably has weak stomach acid and maybe some leaky gut. If he got on a fasting protocol, that might change his life. Could be a big deal for him not to eat every 90 minutes or something if he is. Tell you now, I was proselytizing on your behalf. I'm, uh, he'll call you soon. <laughs> My man, awesome. I hope to support him for sure. Digestion stuff is no fun. It's kind of embarrassing too. Um, it helps regenerate the immune system. All right. Not only does it support the liver, detoxify what's already circulating. One study by Harvard found that a full three-day fast helped regenerate white blood cells post-chemo uh, sessions for cancer patients than control groups. 
So there's a lot to be said about, again, the relationship between the gut and fasting and your immune system. So when you give your gut time to repair by fasting, your immune system benefits greatly. And it also improves nutrient absorption, also supports uh, increased insulin sensitivity. You don't want to overdo fasting. It's not a race to the bottom, but it is a, a critical tool in the toolbox that's free and just requires a little bit of attention on oneself. And it is a huge, huge difference maker. It really is the fountain of youth, I believe. Right? And finally, uh, it's a, uh, rooted in the principles of autophagy or self-devouring in Greek, removes and cleans up your uh, damaged uh, and or dying uh, cellular components to make way for healthier cellular function. Uh, you guys know the fasting varieties. I'm just going to pop through this. Three to four hours between meals if you have weak stomach acid, better gastric emptying. Nightly fasting, 12 to 14 hours. Sleeping is the OG. Uh, intermittent fast, just add a little time on either side. 24 hours to support the liver process over cheap weekends and regulate your blood sugar. 48 to 72 hours, something to help support the immune system regenerate a bit more thoroughly. So let's enhance the process a bit. Right now, I start to get into a few of those hacks. Boosting your digestive strength from the top first. It sounds simple. Chew, chew, chew. Right? You make it easy on your on your stomach to break down the food. You have teeth and salivary amylase, among other enzymes, in your spit to help you break down food. My mom swears it helped her digestive tract when she had her functional medicine practitioner said, chew your food. You're like, don't be a duck. Don't just swallow it down the gullet. Like, chew. And she is a firm believer in the importance of breaking down your food fully before swallowing. It's also a great practice just to eat less by chewing slowly. Um, <clears throat> that makes a big difference. Also, chewing harder foods like carrots, like undercooked vegetables, is excellent if you have sleep apnea or you tend to snore. Uh, I've done a couple of interviews with uh, sleep specialists and they talk about, well, kids these days don't eat any hard foods. When you chew and use your mandibles, it helps widen out your jaw and gives your tongue a place to rest because our jaws are, are atrophying and getting smaller and weaker, right? We have a narrower base at the bottom of our mouth and our tongue doesn't have anywhere to go. So it rides up to the top of the mouth when we sleep. So chew, chew, chew and chew hard foods, right? It's great for your sleep as well over time. Next Stomach, we want to strengthen your stomach. Acid for most people. A few things to do that again. Ginger, it's awesome having some ginger tea. Cloves, cloves are wonderful um, uh, anti antibacterial as well. They've been around for centuries. People were using cloves um, for, for medicinal purposes for, for many years. Uh, papaya and the with the seeds, organic, make sure you get it. It's mostly GMO. Um, uh, the papain. In, uh, in the papaya seeds are one of the best enzymes you can consume. Same thing with the uh, core of a pineapple. My wife is fiercely sensitive to broccoli and we tested it. She, we blended up the, the bromelain in the, uh, in the pineapple core with some soda water. She drank that, waited 10 minutes and could then eat broccoli with no digestive pain. It was fascinating. So 
Um, don't throw away that core. Save it as an awesome digestive enzyme. Uh, again, the bromelain in the core or the papain and the papaya seeds, not to be thrown away. You can make your homemade uh, 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 digestive enzymes with the, uh, with the seeds of the core. Cayenne pepper, another good one. Excellent to heat up the stomach. And again, very simple one is lemon. It's one of those almost panacea cure-alls. Don't use acid blockers. I don't know if we've covered that already, but don't use acid blockers. Next, if you want to strengthen your digestive tract and make your digestive uh, uh, system more efficient, a few foods you can consume uh, on their own uh, typically are red or blackberries, excellent uh, apple skins, one of the best, uh, excellent antihistamine food or apple peels. Also colostrum, you can get powdered colostrum now, like bovine colostrum or human milk uh, oligosaccharides are each excellent to build up your, your small intestinal strength and immunity, as well as semi-green bananas, which have resistant uh, prebiotic starches. And all these are really supportive to strengthen your digestive wall by boosting what's called your acromantia, which supports the mucosal layer in your gut. You know, we talked about the, the leakier type junctions of your small intestine. Well, your small intestine just has a two cell thick mucosal wall between the small intestine itself and the, and the barrier, the blood barrier. So having a thick mucosal wall is crucial for digestive health and acromantia um, support to build that mucosal layer. Also bifidobacteria, uh, one of my, 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 uh, my bacterial crushes, I love it, is uh, it's a highly active gut bacteria related to fat loss and weight management. And it decreases significantly as we age. So eating these types of foods also support strengthen your bifidobacteria count. So you're not just trying to sweat it out in the gym, build up the right bacterium, and then all of a sudden it's working for us a whole lot easier by strengthening our, our digestive processes. So red berries or blackberries, excellent. Apple skins, colostrum, you can get powdered colostrum. Semi-green bananas, not too sweet, not too green. Uh, all excellent in boosting your acromantia, bifidobacteria. And finally, how to support your large intestine, right? We want the butyrate in our gut, in our, in our, in our colon, uh, to be strong, right? And that means beans or lentils, uh, full-fat dairy, such as ghee, whole milks, quality whole milks, garlic and onions. Uh, for some people, some people find uh, uh, garlic and onions to be very sensitive in their bodies. And like you, Michelle, you had that bell pepper sensitivity, and some people are very sensitive to what are called lectins. Maybe you've heard of that term, lectin. It's a uh, kind of a plant protein that is designed to have nature not eat a plant too quickly. It's one of its main defense mechanisms. So say an animal will eat an unripened fruit. It's very high in lectins if the fruit or vegetable is unripened and it can get the, uh, get the animal very sick. Same thing for us. So if you have something like a nightshade, like a bell pepper, a lot of some things you can do is, um, is cook it, thoroughly cook it. It will help kill off a lot of the extra lectins, get a, um, uh, get a fully ripened bell pepper, like a red one, not a green one. Uh, certain things like beans or, um, or uh, lentils, make sure you can get them sprouted or get them fully, again, fully cooked and support uh, 
remove a lot of those lectins, so it's much less of a problem, and you can yield the benefits of these uh, of these foods a little bit better, tolerate them a little bit more. So in, in closing here, chew, chew, chew your food from the mouth, bring it down, make it easy on the LES and the esophageal sphincter to the stomach. Then you want to strengthen your stomach acid, ideally before a meal. Well, you can even use a digestive enzyme ahead of time if you don't want to, if you don't have a papaya on hand, it's your, you know, wherever you are, it's like papaya season in Colorado in December, unless I'm wrong. Small intestine, you want to build up with very simple, a lot of fruits, really, a lot of quality directed fruits, excellent to strengthen your uh, digestive wall, the acromantia bifio bacteria, and certain, and certain foods to strengthen your large intestinal um, fortitude as well. A few final miscellaneous hacks I find support with digestion, right? It's getting 1% better. Stress management, and it sounds so like so easy to say and hard to do, but if you can separate stress from eating, one of the most vulnerable times, as I understand it, is eating when stressed because our bodies are already trying to work through a sympathetic nervous system activity when we're stressed. And we want to eat in what's called a parasympathetic state. We want our body to be, our vigilance to be down. So if you can go for a walk, if you can be mindful, say, I'm stressed right now, it's a good time to eat for me. Have a little water, go for a walk, get some sunshine or step away from the challenge you're facing. But breaking bread when you're stressed is not a good time um, to, uh, to consume food. Number two, walking after meals. This is more for blood sugar spikes. We'll say it over and over again from the top of a mountain. Walking after a meal is recommended for Woman with gestational diabetes when they're pregnant was recommended by father when he was borderline type two diabetic. Recommended for my type one diabetic client from his doctor. He's shown it to me on his Dexcom on his you know permanent blood sugar reader. Walking after meals makes a difference to support digestion and ward off body fat if you overeat. So make sure it doesn't have to be long, a couple minutes. Problem. Heat and cold, especially. Um, excuse me, heat. Our body likes to be comfortable, right? In our kind of 97 to 98 degree little window. However, if we add a hormetic stresses like heat or cold, thought that was a raccoon. That was scary. Just my wife. Um, uh, heat or cold. I didn't know, man. You never know. Uh, and heat or cold. I'll get back on track. Uh, heat or cold gives us a hermetic re response that um, not only helps burn calories, right, but can give us very targeted fat loss efforts as well. Um, when you use cold, it's a good idea to be mindful of your heart health. So it's not every one, right? Kind of shunts blood to the midline of your body, right? So it's, it's something that doesn't stimulate a lot of uh, thermogenesis in your body to build up and manufacture its own heat, right? Heat its own body temperature up. It's called the thermic effect of it. Your body wants to get back to 97, 98 degrees. Same thing with heat. It wants to get your temperature back down. So there is an element of calorie burning and effort. I wouldn't say eat a meal in extreme hot or cold, but these are things that can support uh, fat loss and your, uh, I think, digestion over time. Again, go back to the enzymes. Anybody take an enzyme on a regular basis? Just by a raise of hands, you don't. It's a, not a bad idea to do if you're having a cheat meal, 
if you are sensitive or tend to be like me a little bit gassy after like kind of like a crappy cheat meal, uh, like one that's kind of a carb based, like an amylase based, if you have difficulty digesting proteins or protease, and again, if you're and if you're really sluggish after like kind of a fatty meal, maybe it's a lipase based enzyme. So all these are good idea. Just a very simple pop of pill. Sometimes it works. <clears throat> Build better routines, right? So having a look at what is your morning routine that's getting you uh, where you are now. All the results and accomplishments you have are excellent. You're very successful people. But if you are waking up with digestive issues or going to bed with digestive issues, sometimes it's worth having a look at, am I moving my body enough? doing your lymphatic massage, which can support boost immunity, drinking water, being mindful, a little bit of movements. You know, this is just a little simple infographic, but all these practices can really help get you into the practice of digestive health, mental health. And they all play in one and the same, right? Uh, helping you sleep, helping you wake up refreshed. And finally, I find the best thing to do is be your own N1. Like, like Michelle, you have like bell pepper sensitivities and then yours is eggs and chicken and Kathy can't even remember her one thing. You know, but we all have our one thing. So, you know, being curious and not in this challenge is the perfect time to look at some routine changes or some nutritional changes. Really dig down and, and, and see and think about when you're having uh, food sensitivities, et cetera. Like, what did I just eat that is such an issue for me, et cetera. And it can do wonders if you can peg it down to remove the thorn and, and play around that for a while, at least for, you know, six weeks or so um, until you can reintroduce food maybe that is, uh, that is supportive or put a fasting practice back in. If you kind of, you know, avoided it, let it drop by the wayside. Fasting is a wonderful practice to uh, re-strengthen your digestive tract as well. Just gotta be curious enough to um, uh, to to put it into play and practice. Awesome! And you do all that, ta-da! Digestion done. Send me a picture of your poop. Just kidding. Don't do that. Um, that was too much, Derek. Say less. Say less. Uh, do you all have any? questions um, from the presentation or beyond. And if I don't know the answer, I'll make it up. That uh, infographic, do you have a PDF of that or is that in the resources somewhere? Uh, you know what, I'm glad to send it, Ben, sure. I, I didn't, I don't I don't think I put it anywhere, but I'll drop it in the, I'll either send it to you directly or yeah, for sure. I'll find a way to get it to you for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Awesome. So no questions, all good, feels good, digested, digested the workshop. Ta-da. Yes, I think this has been my favorite. It's the geekiest, I love it. I love it, oh, wonderful, gotcha. What, what did you get for yourself, Michelle, that you're curious about? I know that I need to probably be on a low FODMAP diet, which just sucks. I, I've tried it, it's terrible. Mm. But it doesn't have to be forever. Yeah. Maybe it does, You'll but okay. it's terrible. It's terrible. Yeah, no one wants that. Can't spell pizza with FODMAP in it. <laughs> Bummer. <laughs> Fortunately, I got that, fam. Well, uh, consider me a resource. And Allison's great, too. She has 
um, you know, some great certifications. She's very responsive and, you know, um, and working through any getting creative with like how to eat well on a kind of a FODMAP thing. And it might be, it might be supportive to do a, um, to do, if you got a spare extra couple hundred bucks lying in the couch cushions, you can get your intestinal permeability checked. And oftentimes like FODMAP stuff is, that's often a product of like intestinal permeability or some digestive, um, you know, gut, gut flora imbalance. It's not for the most part, there's some, there's a missing there or a dysfunction. It doesn't have to be, I got to cut out bread forever. Um, that's, you know, not, I mean, you're Italian, aren't you? Or don't you live off that stuff? <laughs> I do. Take, take, my, right. take my garlic and oil away from me for my cold dead hands but, but what you said <laughs> does, does make sense though because sometimes I am very sensitive to certain foods that I've been eating consistently for years and so the variability makes some sense yeah put it down just change up the protein band and maybe it's maybe it's pork maybe you just go like kind of plant-based veg for a couple weeks but makes a big difference for sure Awesome team. Great. Any, any other questions? I don't think so. We're good. All right. Awesome. I'm gonna pop out of there. Stop that share. Ooh. Wonderful. And pop this recording off.